What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, we got Joe Morrison. Joe, what's going on? What's up, Brian? Great to be here, man. Great to great to have you on. It's a it's a race week here. Uh, you you are going to Norwalk, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, man. Can't wait. We'll be uh, arriving Thursday afternoon, getting set up and uh, and and prepared to slug it out. Eighteen top fuel cars signed up as of today, so. Uh, we know that uh, if we want to, uh, if we don't want to get eaten by the bear, we got to outrun the fat, the two slowest campers, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and what's funny is this is going to air after the event. So we'd be able to go through and then look at it, po- you know, post and kind of see how everything plays out. But it's, it's always fun to talk to racers during race week, because at this point you're still excited to go and, you know, things are, things are still going to according to plan, right? <laughs> that's right they can't they can't go wrong until we run the car right <laughs> it, it's like i always tell people that racing there, there's so much to it you know the race itself is just one third of it the other two thirds are the journey there and the journey home there's so much that could happen at any one of those points that you just you accept the fact that you're just buying the ticket and taking the ride yeah man absolutely it's so true and and the preparation ahead of time uh, is so important. I mean, truthfully, it's been said, and and it seems like a cliche, but uh, look, there. Yes, everything has to go right on the race weekend, and the crew's got to perform, and the the between round service has to run well. Not minimizing that, but what happens in the shop ahead of time, so important. And like you said, not only that, but you got to get there. You got to get home. So uh, there's adventures all along the way. I was just talking to a racer at the streetcar takeover about that. And like, we both were in agreement that when you show up to the track, you should only be unloading the car ready and race ready. It should be put fuel on it, put it on the charger, race it. If you've got a big dry race board stuff that you got to do, you're setting yourself up for some problems. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I could only imagine, you know, with a top fuel car, you guys probably have a lot of fun stuff that you've got to get ready to go. What, what's something that, you know, that people might not realize you guys got to prepare before you even uh, go wheels up to head doing an event. So, the, you know, it's funny. Some of these things can be done at the track, but it's better. You're better off not. And, and we go in with a, a more relaxed attitude when it doesn't have to happen. Uh, example of that would be building racks, right? For us, um, it, it's Gary Selzy said this so well so many years ago. If you put a piston in a pro stock engine, you kiss it and you welcome it to its new home. You put a piston in a top fuel motor, you kiss it goodbye, right? So for us, really, pistons and rods are consumables to a certain extent. Not quite as much as spark plugs, but but silly little things like showing up to the track with, you know, look, we go through 16 spark plugs every run, right? So you do the math. Like all of a sudden, it doesn't take long before you've gone through more than 100 plugs in a weekend. So silly little things like, plugs gapped racks built right like we'll show up with you know some of the big teams will show up with way more than this but we'll show up with five five racks six racks ready to go um because then that way uh, we don't have team members going through checking rods to make sure they're not twisting bending etc crush there's rod crush and then going through and making sure that those piston and rod assemblies are ready to be dropped in going through the heads ahead of time and making sure that we've got enough sets of heads God forbid we, you know, we, we torch a head gasket or something, damage a head, damage a block. You know, we'll go in there. Big teams will go in there six or eight uh, short blocks ready to go. Um, we, we only have three. Uh, but earlier this year, we were going to the track with just two. So we're thankful that we're going in with, you know, three blocks that have cranks and cams timed um, and ready to be put together. So not having to assemble a short block at the track you know, having racks ready to go, all these things, you know, having the heads prepared, all this stuff um, is, is key to really showing up um, prepared to qualify and, and trying to set yourself up for success. And that's so important with cars that have, especially, you know, nitro cars, but cars that require a lot of service because every second counts. It doesn't matter even if it's just between qualifying rounds, you know, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean, you, you have to be doing something on that car at some point. Absolutely. And if you're, if you're not, if you're prepared, then you don't, you're, you can, you can actually focus more on the details and, and really, uh, and I learned this from Frank Hawley years ago, the difference 
between between good and great is it it's not a big as big a gap as you think you know and and unfortunately even in top fuel the the, the difference between good and not qualified is is not a very big gap as well so to go into a race with you know prepared to be able to work on look at the details a little more closely um, thankfully we've been having a lot of help from Kalita Motorsports and Rob Flynn um, they've been a huge help to us um, not only from buying parts uh, but also from the technical aspect of helping us you know improve the program and uh, it's been a struggle this year I mean really we've had a lot of challenges we started out blowing stuff up in Gainesville um, you know and and really it, it just was kind of like a combination of uh a combination of things, the wrong things happening at the wrong times. And so we've been able to, to uh, adjust and improve and we've made progress every event. Um, so again, you know, by the time this airs, we'll see what happens, but I feel pretty good going into Norwalk. I mean, even though Epping wasn't, wasn't great for us, um, it certainly wasn't bad. And we, we learned a lot. Um, we learned a lot that I think is going to be a good foundation for, for Norwalk for us. Well, speaking of learn a lot, you've raced a little bit of everything on your way to the uh, to the world of top fuel racing. You know, a lot of people want to know how did you start out to get to where you are. You know, what what does it take to get there? You know, so uh, some of it has been um, has been some luck. I got to be honest, um, luck and prayers answered, if you want to put it that way, because there certainly has been a whole lot of that. Um, so. Uh, Really, I had um, I had been building a uh, 1970 Nova that I bought from my brother-in-law as a, as a six-cylinder um, rusted-out piece of junk for 300 bucks. Um, literally gutted it, um, you know, and I had put a 12-point cage in it, back halved it, and I was building a uh, had a local engine builder here who uh, sadly has passed away since then, but uh, Tony File. Uh, built a big block Chevy for me or went through a big block Chevy I had for us, setting it up to be a nine second car, went to uh, Doug Foley's school, got my competition license in 2001, but was still building the car. Um, and look, I'm a landscaper. I've got four kids. Don't have a whole lot of money to be throwing at race cars. So I was like pinching pennies and building this thing one piece at a time. But the fact that I had my competition license and went to school and got my competition license in 2006 had the opportunity to start driving for a fellow by the name of Mike Gillespie. Uh, Mike was a friend of my dad's and mine. And for people who don't know, I'm a second generation racer. My dad was racing before I was born. Um, so, so Mike bought this uh, injected alcohol, you know, 706 cubic inch uh, Fiat altered um, really bitching car. Um, it's a, it was a Brad Hadman alcohol, funny car chassis. So it had carbon fiber brakes, a seven second car. So it was no joke. I mean, wasn't you know I, I was a great place for me to build a foundation running with the northeast timing organization and uh so sadly mike mike had had cancer it was in remission um the cancer came back um which actually led to a, a friendship that still exists to this day with jack beckman i've been i've been lucky that to be friends with jack for a long time um and so so as i was driving through the nostalgia ranks you know, something would come up. I'd have a question. I'd get on the phone and I'd call Jack and ask his advice. So, so having a mentor and having someone that could provide great driving advice as I was learning, that was key along the way. Um, and that led to, we took the car, um, even while Mike was sick, we took the car to Frank Hawley school, um, fine-tuned our routine, learned a lot from Frank, learned what I learned from Frank was levels of concentration and, and really how to think like a winner. Um, and that was in, in the fall of 2007, sadly in the summertime of 2008, Mike passed away. Um, I had been buying into the car. I sold my Nova, sold all my parts, bought into the car. And then Mike, um, when Mike passed away, he left the car, the, what was left, what I would have had to have bought, left it to me in his will, um, and said he wanted my dad and I to keep racing together, which again, if Mike hadn't done that, I wouldn't be where I am today, truthfully. Um, you know, I mean, maybe it would have taken longer. I would have found a way, right. I was committed. So I, I was going to make it no matter what, but, 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 but Mike's help was just priceless. So, um, so in Mike's memory, we continued racing on and, and we continued to improve. And by 2011, 
Um, we won the Nito Comp Championship. We went to 14 races and won seven of them, believe it or not. Um, we, um, anytime we got out of the second round, we won the race. Uh, it was kind of crazy. It was like, as soon as we got past the second round, man, we were unstoppable. Same thing in 2012, went to, went to 12 races and won six, would have repeated a champion as champion if I would have shown up at just one more race. Um, and that opened a lot of doors. And, and so um, I began talking with, uh, um, with a pro team about trying to, trying to put together a deal for me to drive a top fuel car. Uh, initially, actually, I approached them about driving a funny car and was encouraged to look at top fuel first. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of any nitro car. I mean, that's kind of how the nickname nitro Joe showed up, but, um, anything nitro, man, it was like, put me in it. Um, got my, uh, top alcohol dragster license with Jerry Darian in 2014. Um, and that having that opened the door for me to drive the 134 fuel coupe as a, uh, fuel altered owned by Ted Bryan, uh, built by Ted Bryan and Paul gold in the, in the eighties. And they had bought the car back. So driving a fuel altered, um, going to the hot rod reunion in, in California and, and doing match races with other fuel altered was great for the resume and an amazing experience. I mean, I always loved the fuel altereds. Um, you know, uh, I didn't really get to see them in their heyday cause I was just a little kid. You know, I, I mean, I was born in, in, uh, the tail end of 1969. So, um, and then not only driving that car, but having the opportunity to drive for my great friend, Rocky Perone, um, driving nostalgia, funny cars. I was driving the frantic Ford, um, on nitro match racing, Bruce Larson. Um, and really that match racing thing. Um, I love that. That was kind of like, uh, you know, kind of back to the, the days of the seventies, uh, with the funny cars and, and the, and the alters and the match races that went on back then. Um, you know, so, so to me, that was kind of a cool deal, but it was learning on these cars and having to drive in conditions that were, while I was always put in a good car and I was always in a safe car, you know, you'd have different track conditions you'd have to deal with. I mean, you know, the, we'd be throwing curveballs left and right. So I feel like that helped me prepare for where I am right now in top fuel and being able to, uh, I'm comfortable in just about any situation, you know, so um, I don't get rattled, you know, and I think that that nostalgia racing, foundation really helped me with that so uh that's kind of you know maybe more than you asked right but that's kind of where where the story goes hey you know that that's what the show's all about is you know racers telling stories and kind of going off of that you know, let's talk about the th you know the three fastest cars you've driven you know what was it like to start out from one and go to the other and go to the other you know what are like what you know what would kind of talk about that experience because I know from my own personal experience with my street car, I will never forget the first time I went a 10 second pass, a strong second pass on nitrous. Yeah. I, I knew within about a second, as soon as that nitrous hit, I'm like, all right, this is going to be a fun ride. So what, <laughs> it was like, I am, this is different. I like this. So what was it like for you stepping up through different vehicles? You know, the, the driving experience, if you will. You know, what's interesting about that, people, you look at the differences and, and, and moving up a level. Um, and, and I think what most people don't realize, and I didn't realize until I was on the journey. And then once I had stepped up a couple of levels, then I kind of knew what to expect, sort of. And, and I'll explain that. So first car I ever took down the track, I had a 1970 Chevelle four speed with an M21 wide ratio trans. It was originally a six cylinder car. So it had a 273 10 bolt differential, right? Lucky I didn't blow the daggone thing up. Um, and it had a 350 board and stroked out to a 383. I'd launched the car, uh, raceway park in English town, launched the car between 2,500, 3000 RPM. I just dumped the clutch and the thing would torque up and the left front wheel would come just a little bit off the ground. That was like a high 12 second, low 13 second car, go through the finish line in third gear. At about 5,600 RPM, 105 miles an hour. Now, you go up to a nine-second car from there, right? That'll go through the quarter mile at 140, but you're doing 100 miles an hour at half track. Same speed, half the distance. It's like twice the car, in my mind, right? I mean, because instead of doing 100 at the quarter mile, you're doing 100 at the eighth. Now, go into my Fiat Altered, and I'm doing 150 
at the eighth mile, right? So a nine-second car, 140, 150 at the quarter mile. Now I'm doing it at the eighth. Again, same speed, half the distance. It's kind of like twice the car. Well, then, you know, you step up to the, the funny cars, the nostalgia funny cars. I'm doing 170, 180 at the eighth mile. And, and it's only it's it's only a second quicker, right? You think, oh, it's only one second quicker. Well, it's fast. Well, really, you know, it's kind of like twice the car, and and then and then driving the top alcohol car, right? Two hundred twenty miles an hour, three point six seconds at the eighth mile, right? Now, again, quarter mile with the with the alcohol car, two seventy, two eighty at the quarter mile. Well, let me tell you, when I jumped in that top fuel car. I stepped on the throttle to do the burnout. And my first thought was, holy crap, this thing means business. Um, and I never had that experience in any other car. Um, this top fuel car, man, I am absolutely in awe of the power of this thing. Um, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm intimidated by it. I'm not, I respect it. Um, love it, actually. It's absolutely amazing. But again, the eighth mile, doing 270, 280 miles an hour. So you don't even think about it, but it acts like it's twice the car, the top alcohol car, right? And the ETs aren't that much different, but in order for that to happen, you know, you need that much more power. And if you think about it, right, these top alcohol cars making 3,500, 4,000 horsepower, and you're looking at, you know, 10, 11,000 horsepower in the top fuel car. And, uh, and so each time I moved up, you know, yeah, there's a learning curve. Yeah, your brain has to get ready to adjust. Um, and each time, like the anticipation of what's it going to be like, um, what's it going to feel like? And especially in the top fuel car, you know, you always wonder, you're like, all right, can I handle this? I mean, I think I can, I would go into it with confidence. Um, but it's like, you know, until you experience it, you know, you got to know what it's going to feel like. And, 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 uh, man, it did not disappoint, you know, I mean, driving a top fuel car for me, is just, man, it is the coolest thing on the planet. Um, especially man, you launch the car and then, you know, and it's like chaos all around you. This thing's like planting you in the seat and then the clutch locks up and it's like, you launch all over again, you know? And, uh, and, and man, there's just, there's just nothing like it. So, uh, yeah, I, I would do it every day if I could. <laughs> it's definitely, I, I would call nitro, any nitro vehicle, barely controlled chaos. That's the, oh, yeah. like, it is, don't ever let someone tell you. Oh, I've got that nitro car under control. No, no, no. It's it, it will tell you who's in charge when you least expect it. Well, and it's amazing is is just how fast things are happening. Um, and I mean, it took me a good number of runs before I felt like I was keeping up with the car. Um, and 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 anybody that tells you otherwise is lying to you. Truthfully, I, I mean, because if you do the math right at two hundred miles an hour is 300 feet per second are you doing a football field in one second at 200 miles an hour right back to where i said from the 660 right at the eighth mile we're doing 270 and this thing is still accelerating and it and it doesn't stop pulling all the way through i mean it's not like look you you drive some of these other cars and you get to the eighth mile and it's just a fun fast ride from there right this thing is just crushing you into the seat all the way until you left off the throttle so 270 miles an hour at the eighth mile between 660 and a thousand feet, you're getting there in less than a second. Think about that less than one second. I've heard Ron Cap say in an interview that the last part of the race just kind of happens. Kind of does. I mean, I'm driving it. Like I know where I am. I've got my point down track. I'm steering as necessary, but, but boy, let me tell you, I see the eighth mile mark and I've already got my hand on the parachute lever. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm driving that last part of the track one-handed as I'm ready to push the chutes, you know, because you're there. You just it's just amazing how fast Me, everything happens. You've driven a fuel altered. Imagine you with Worsham and Hartman going over 300 in the quarter with that. Like I would just watch that video again the other day. I'm like, that's nuts. Like that oh, is yeah. just like I, I still I've mentioned that maybe every couple of shows about that. Just you I'm in awe of what yeah. those dudes did because that's that's a, another complete different animal right there. Oh, that's just that's just a whole new level of just badass. I mean, really. And, and uh, I was lucky. Um, I saw Richard. Um, we, we needed the front half of the top fuel car uh, updated for the rules changes this year. 
And we were, I was at his shop actually, as we were on our way down to, uh, as I was bringing the car down for, uh, for Gainesville. And so before he went, he told me what they were going to do. And I was like, Oh man, I, I was envious. I was like, I would love to do that. I would absolutely love to do that. That's just, uh, it's gotta be insane. It's gotta be insane. You know, they're, they're trying to sell tickets to send people into space. I'm like, why don't y'all just sell tickets like Larry Dixon's doing, take a ride in a nitro car. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah. I, I think you get a lot more people that would buy into that in a heartbeat. Man, and, and tell you what Larry's doing with that is is just, I think it's the coolest thing ever. I would encourage, listen, if anyone ever wants to check it out, you know, call Larry Dixon and do the nitro, nitro times too, because... Oh man, look at the videos of people when they get out of those cars. You just can't wipe the smile off their faces. It's crazy. You know, before we move on, I've got to hit my first sponsor uh, here this week is uh, Mosier Engineering. Mosier Engineering has been racing across five decades through three generations of family. They have also been supporting sportsman ranks since the beginning with their lightning fast two-day turnaround. Everything that Mosier makes, axles, rear end, suspension, brakes are made in the USA with one goal in mind, so you can win. To learn more, check us out online at MosierEngineering.com, which the thing I love about having some of these sponsors is I could say they're kid tested and dragzine approved because <laughs> we use a Mosier Engineering rear end in our single, well, it's going to be a single turbo streetcar build. And we are, again, not kind to parts in this world, especially with our projects because we push them hard and God willing of the creek, don't rise, knock on wood. Haven't had any issues with that rear end yet. Well, it's funny. I mentioned being a, uh, a landscaper and not having a whole lot of money to throw at a race car. Um, that's why I had Mosher axles in the, in the rear end in that nine-second Nova I was building because I knew I needed something I could count on. So, yeah, you got to believe her in me, man. Yeah, it's, it, yeah that, that's one of those uh, things I think a lot of people don't understand that aren't, like, hip to the whole racing thing is that uh, parts reliability is part of that, you know uh, – I guess we call it our shield that we wear that, you know, our parts are never going to break and you have to believe what you put on a car period End of discussion. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Now your team is a small family owned operation, you know, a lot like we used to see in the early days of nitro when you'd see, you know, 60 top fuelers show up to a big meet, you know, what's it like in these modern days, you know, being, you know, the, the, the smaller team versus the mega team, you know, you guys roll and you got your truck, your trailer, that's it. You don't have the hospitality tent and the food being made and everything else unless, you know, Ma's back there cooking on the grill. So, you know, what's it like kind of being like one of these, uh, one of these throwback teams? Yeah, it's funny. Um, so leverage racing, Bob leverage started racing in 1959. So he was there all along and, and competing, um, you know, all throughout, you know, the, really the, you know, if you want to call it the, uh, I don't want to call it the heyday of drag racing because quite honestly, with all the different forms of drag racing right now, I mean, I think drag racing is just as popular as ever. Um, it's all taken different forms, but, but so for us being a small family team, um, Hey, I, I, I like the David and Goliath example. Uh, you know, Goliath had had the right tools for the job and he got the job done. Right. So, I think our day is coming now, you know, whether we're going to be able to have the resources to go all the way to a final round and win or not. Well, that remains to be seen. I think we got to step up in the performance aspect a little bit before we're ready to start talking about race wins. But look, I've already had two round wins that were there for the taking, even in Epping. Um, you know, we were round one against Billy Torrance and, and uh, you know, we had a supercharger belt break. Um you know, it broke because, you know, we didn't, you know, we, uh, um, we were putting cylinders out and, and that was kind of rough on the belt, but, uh, he was there for the taking, you know? So, um, I think I like our chances in a lot of aspects and kind of with what's gone on with COVID with reduced qualifying sessions, that's been good for us. Um, it, it costs us less. Um, now the, the downside is, you know, then we have, everybody has less opportunities to learn at the track, right? But uh, for us being small and nimble, um, yet still having the help of some of the bigger teams, um, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know if I would call it an advantage uh, because we got to work harder and be a little more scrappy. Um, but, you know, I, certainly I, I don't have I don't have a sponsor calling me up saying, hey, you can't say this or you can't say that. Now, I, I don't know if the big guys do either. Right. Because I haven't been there yet. Um, 
but but I will tell you this, like there's nobody not, you know, there's nobody telling me don't be Joe Morrison, you know, which is great. You know, you, you I I say what I mean. I mean what I say. I don't have to worry about, you know, being politically correct, per se. Um, not that I go out of my way not to be. I mean, I am. This is just who I am. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I think we have the opportunity to learn from the other big teams, whereas, you know, I don't think you're going to see you know, Kalita and Schumacher teaming up to learn something together. Right. Um, yet, like I said, we've gotten help from, we've gotten a lot of help from Kalitas. Um, we've bought some parts from Schumacher. We bought parts from Torrance, um, you know, and some of the other teams out there. I mean, uh, you know, so the nice thing is, is, is look, we, you know, we can kind of go out there and, and, and uh, you know, collaborate with other teams. We get to the starting line. Of course, they want to beat us we want to beat them i mean that's what it is right you know you're, you're there to race you're there to win um so yeah I don't, you know it's funny i don't know that i could pick out an advantage other than you know just describing what it is um you know and then look at the risk of sounding cliche you know truthfully i'm glad to be there um i never thought i had a shot at this you know i mean on paper i shouldn't even be doing this you know I have the money i don't have the famous name um and and because of that uh, I'm glad to be where I am. You know, I mean, Gary and I um, and Dan Leverage, I mean, you know, I consider these guys friends um, now that I've gotten to know them, you know, and, and uh, in a lot of ways, we're a lot alike, you know, we're, we're, we're scrappy, we're underdogs and we're out there, you know, the fact that we can go out there and race torrents when they outspend us 10 to one, you know, we, we have a good shot at it. And, uh, and to be clear, and again, you know, we said this beforehand, I don't hold that against those guys. And, and, and I don't see that as a bad thing. Uh, you know, you look at guys like Billy Torrance, you look at Mike Salinas, you know, you look at Don Schumacher, you look at Connie Clitty, you look at John Force. Every single one of those guys built what they have from the ground up. They earned it. To race, to race with these guys. To me, it's like going to school, man. I, I, I get to see a little bit of how they did it. You know, I'm trying to learn from them and figure out how to do that. My so, um, you know, the advantage of being a small team, I get to learn from all the big teams. Not, you know, and I'm not just stuck in my own little bubble. Well, and I think that, you know, kind of going off of that, I've, I've talked with other people about this as well, is that, you know, you have teams like the Torrances and others that they help other smaller teams along the way because – in general, it's in the best interest of these bigger teams to help the smaller teams for the simple fact that they need to, they need all of you guys there racing to keep these fields full and keep things going. But at the same time, you look at someone like a Josh Hart that, you know, you can't, you know, you can't think, oh, that's a cute little baby bear because, you know, all the bears still got teeth. For sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. And, and like I said, it, they've all helped us, you know, and I don't know. We've asked John force racing for help yet. Um, but, uh, uh, I would think they would help us if, if we asked, you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, someone like, like Josh is not, um, you know, they seem to have a lot of resources and, and, uh, they've got a great operation there. And Josh is another one. I mean, he started with, with nothing and built his business, um, you know, with his bare hands, really, and a great team around him. So, you know, uh, again, I'm encouraged by all of that, honestly. Yeah, like I said, it's just it's great to see, you know, your your, your, your teams like the Torrances, you know, they're helping Scott Palmer, you know, the Laganis, they're, just, they're helping all these other people because they realize we need, you know, they're looking at the bigger picture overall on what, you know, fuel racing needs right now to kind of keep things going is we got to keep these cars moving down the track to keep the fans entertained, to keep the sponsors going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Everybody wins on that deal. Now, as far as with being a small team, what's it like when you guys kind of really start to hit your stride just across the board when you're a smaller team, does it just feel that much better when things are going good on a weekend where you're just, it's not like, Oh, this is our job. You know, you're really having fun at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it is, uh, 
it's unbelievably rewarding. Um, and, and really the, the, uh, the guys and gals we have on our team are, um, man, they are all heart and soul. Uh, because again, like you said, this isn't our full-time job. We do this because we love it. Um, and, and when, when things go our way, it's unbelievably rewarding. It really is. Um, you know, I mean, it's funny. Some of the, the greatest moments we've had um, have been at, af, after we've overcome some kind of an obstacle. Um, so, yeah, I would think, you know, for us, it's just that much sweeter, you know, when things do go well. Yeah, it definitely makes all the difference in the world. And it's, I think it gives other people that might be a smaller team the hope to think, hey, you know what? You know, it's me and my buddies. We know how to work one of these. You know, we, you know, we're not just Joe blows off the street, just, Hey, let's go buy a top fuel operation off racing junk. But Hey, we've, you know, we've maybe ran an alcohol car or something like that. You know, let's put a top fuel car together to go, you know, have some fun. Yeah. And that's, that's really how the leverages came up. You know, they were running an a fuel car um, and they decided to make the move to top fuel and, and uh, they've been continually improving ever since. And uh, you know, my goal with them has been to help them, you know, try to bring in the resources to, uh, to bring the operation to the next level, you know, and, and, uh, with, with my friendships over at Kalitas and the help we've gotten from them, um, we're gaining the parts and the pieces we need. Performance on track hasn't really shown it yet because we've been, we've been really starting from scratch with bigger fuel pump, better clutches and, and, and some better parts, you know, um, uh, yeah, we're we're uh, we're real close to to really surprising some people. And something else I just thought of you you mentioned earlier, you know, you've done some match racing back in the day as well. Do you guys ever, as a smaller team, get approached by tracks to come do match races or exhibition runs to come kind of put butts in seats? Yeah, so um, we're the team has done match racing uh, in Ontario at Cayuga. Um, the problem is right now the border's closed um, or else not closed. You got to quarantine for 14 days and I forget what all the regs that, you know, regulations are, but, but uh, it makes it impossible for us to do that. Um, they had up until last year, they, you know, every year in the summertime, they were match race up at Cayuga. So uh, ah, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I don't know that it's out of the question yet, but, but that event would only be a few weeks away, you know? So I, I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, we would love to do some more match racing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, we're, we're kind of looking for those opportunities right now, you know, uh, because for us, you know, it, it gives us an opportunity to get more laps in the car, um, and, you know, potentially try something out, um, that, that maybe we would or wouldn't get to try out at a national event. So, um, we don't get approached often. Um, but there are a couple of things and, and truthfully, you know, yeah. So if any racetracks are watching, they want a top fuel car, you know, come find us. Well, yeah, you, you'd figure that, you know, racetracks would be all about that, trying to bring in the, you know, that extra, like that dog and pony show. Cause I remember my dad talking about back in the day, you know, the, the pro stock guys that come in a match race and, you know, you hear some of the old school nitro guys talk about, you know, they made before there was, you know, 3000 NHRA national events, you know, that they, they made their extra money match racing at, you know, local tracks that probably shouldn't have had nitro cars on, but you know what the gig paid. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would love to do more of that. Of course, the NHRA schedule makes it tough. Um, but for us, um, the perfect opportunity is the Western swing. Like we, you know, we don't have the big budget to go there. Um, costs us way too much. Um, and as a volunteer team to go to, you know, Colorado, Sonoma, and then, and then now this year, instead of going up to Seattle, going down to LA for, you know, the LA area for Pomona, we just can't afford to do it. So all of a sudden, you know, we've got two months where we're looking for, we're looking for places to run, you know? So it's, it's all about data. Even if you're on a, a track that's not national event prep, guess what? You can learn something there and you can play with something. Even if it's your only run of the car hard to hundred feet. Well, guess what? You learned something there that you can take to the next level, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, it, it would have to be 
it would have to be so far off for us not to learn something. Yeah, we can, we can, and we have, look, when I was licensing and we were at Bradenton licensing, and then we were, we finished up my licensing at Maple Grove. Um, but you know, that was a, it was a pro mod race. It wasn't even, you know, I mean, there was, um, you know, and, and that made our life a little easier, but at Bradenton did a great job too. We learned, we learned at that track too. So yeah, anywhere we go, anywhere we go, we can learn something. Before we uh, kick this into our final gear for the, the show, I got to talk about a uh, pro charger, our final sponsor of this episode uh, for 25 years. Pro charger has been an industry's leading aftermarket supercharger manufacturer by designing, engineering, and building the most powerful, reliable, and advanced centrifugal superchargers on the market. No matter if you're looking for 3,500 horsepower for a record setting pro mod or looking for a DIY system for your street car, truck, or motorcycle pro charger has a perfect, perfect system for you. For more information on all the ways you can bolt on 40, 50, 60, or even 100% more horsepower to your ride, visit ProCharger.com. Now, kind of going into the more the, the fun aspect of it, you know, I was just recently at a streetcar takeover race, you know, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's literally like really cool, fast streetcars. And it's interesting, you know, you just talked about Pro Charger. There's Pro Chargers, Turbos. It's amazing to see like at that grassroots level, I think we, you mentioned this earlier about how well drag racing is doing like fast street car racing, like legit street car racing is on the rise again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's awesome. Um, you know, my, my, my one thing is, um, and, and look, maybe I'm sensitive to this because, uh, you know, a, a person that I was friends with, um, in high school, uh, lost her life street racing um you know I, my big thing is you know let, let you know as much as possible let's keep it on the track um you know what one of the reasons i'm a big fan of nhra and always have been is providing a, a safer place to race you know so but man i love that stuff and and it's i'm so impressed with power and then putting that power down to the ground uh, with these fast street cars, I think it's the coolest thing, man. I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And, you know, listen, as, as, as far as I'm concerned, um, I just want to see drag racing continue to grow. Um, you know, I love seeing the turbo cars. I love superchargers. I mean, any and all of it, truthfully, you know, any power adder you want to throw at it. Um, you know, I just think it's cool. Oh, it, it, the thing is, is that there was everything from literally guys that look like they had, a you know a c7 corvette that they threw some drag radials on they just picked up and they are having a good time all the way to basically race cars or made into street cars but it's just it's cool and impressive to see like how you know what you know the the, the fastest street car stuff that was kind of like a dog and pony show years ago yeah starting to really make a comeback again and what's funny is that the showroom almost showroom cars are going as fast as what some of those cars were. It's, it's kind of mind bending. Yeah. Yeah. Technology and the advances in technology. When I was, you know, in high school and whatever, I could not even imagine being able to show up in, you know, and go out and buy a street car that will run nines. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just mind blowing or quicker, right? Anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just awesome. Yeah. I'm happy to see it. Now you're involved with some great organizations outside of drag racing that are, you know, not what you would consider your typical kind of deals that would be involved in drag racing. Why did you decide to kind of bring them into the, into the sport? So um I actually co-founded an organization called right to breathe. Um, and I'm sure that's one, one of the things you're talking about. So uh, my, my dad, you know, again, um, kind of back to, I never thought I had a shot being a pro in drag racing because uh, my dad had to give it up when my brother and I were young. I mean, we'd still go to the races. We'd still help out other friends, but he didn't have a race car himself. Um, you know, when I was in, you know, in, in uh, grade school, middle school, high school, um, you know, I mean, we were always going to the track, um, and we were always still helping people, 
but we couldn't afford to do it. You know, my dad was a plumber and, and, and just trying to make enough money to support the family was all he could do. Uh, and so when I finally gave racing back to him, especially when, like I said, when I mentioned SB and driving the Fiat altered and my dad and I, you know, and Mike, the three of us were basically the team. Um, that's when my dad was diagnosed with COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, it, that covers, it's an umbrella term that covers several different types of lung diseases, including emphysema and chronic bronchitis. But what happened was my dad didn't get diagnosed until he'd already lost more than half of his lung function, <clears throat> excuse me, more than half of his lung function. So I just thought that was tremendously unfair. This guy that did everything he could to do right by his family. Finally, when he's able to do what he loves to do, he can't do it because he's living with lung disease. So um, we started Right to Breathe to provide free lung screenings. Um, it's a simple test called spirometry. We like to say, put your lungs on the dyno. It's like a dyno pull for your lungs, right? Take a deep breath, you blow out into this machine and it measures volume. It measures uh, what's called FVC, force vital capacity in your FEV1, for, uh, force expertive volume in the first one second of your out breath. And it takes these, these um, the data and tells you whether there's a problem or not. So we can actually help people find out early because if you catch COPD early, you can treat it and you can stop the progression of it. But like my dad had lost more than half his lung function. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. So for us, there's a clock ticking, right? And there's people that are at risk and, and it's not just from smoking. Yeah, that's a part of it. But, uh, you know, I'm at risk working, you know, because I worked as a landscaper. And even though I used a respirator than cutting concrete, I mean, people working in dusty, dirty environments, that sort of thing um, kind of puts you at risk. So we want to make sure people can keep racing as long as possible. Um, and, and in order to do that, right, you got to know what's going on with your lungs, because like I said, once you lose that lung function, it doesn't come back. So we, uh, we have righttobreathe.org, that's R-I-G-H-T, the number two, B-R-E-A-T-H-E.org. Um, and I'm really fortunate that some of our sponsors are, are supporting and helping support Right to Breathe. Um, you know, DA Lubricants in Penn Grade One, um, you know, we're, we're working on a program where they're actually helping bring money back to Right to Breathe to help us do more, more patient outreach and more free lung screenings at race events. Um, we're looking to do one at the, the Maple Grove national event again. Um, you know, now that uh, ideally COVID is kind of coming to a close. I mean, we should, we're still not completely out of the woods yet, but uh, now that it's safer to, to start, you know, talking about doing lung screenings again, we're looking to pick that back up and, and do more of it. So, um, so, you know, that, again, that's a big part of, of um, I want to be able to give back to the racing community. You know, I feel incredibly lucky to be able to do what I'm doing. Um, and, um, and truthfully, you know, um, if my dad had been diagnosed earlier, it's very likely he'd still be alive. You know, he passed away in 2016. Um, we had, we really had 10 great years of, of a lot of racing together. Um, but, uh, you know, he never got to see me race in top fuel, you know I mean? Yeah. He got to see me race the fuel altered and the funny cars, but, uh, you know, I started really searching, you know, and working diligently to, to get to the pro level and to drive, drive in top fuel in 2013, you know, dad saw three years worth of effort and no results, you know? So, uh, my thought is, look, if I can help someone else live better and live longer, then it's a great way to honor my father's legacy. And I think that, that that's very important. I think it demonstrates something that a lot of people may I guess in the racing where they might not understand or take for granted, it's just for the most part, how giving most racers are, whether it's, you know, doing through charity work, whatever they can, or helping a fellow competitor. I think it's part of what makes motorsports and drag racing so great is that you don't stand there and watch someone not to be able to do something or go without you do what you can to help them when you can. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, you put it so well. It, it really is, um, you know, uh, I'm not the only one doing stuff like this, right? As a matter of fact, you look at, I see examples everywhere in racing of people doing what they can to give back, whether, like you said, to other competitors or whether it's give back to the community. I mean, look at what Cher Terry Chandler did, um, you know, with the Make-A-Wish car and with the Infinite Hero Foundation car um, and, and how she supported that. And then her husband even continued that after her passing. Um, you know, there's so many people out there that, that, are doing great things in the community. And, um, this is just personal to me, man. It, it's no, um, you know, it's, it's, um, 
I'm not doing it because, because it just, it's, it's, it's a cliche thing to do. It's this really means something to me. And there's a real problem that needs to be addressed. And, and why not, why not just do something about it? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you're, if you sit there waiting for someone else to do something, you'll wait forever. Right. I mean, yeah, maybe someone else will pick up on it and I hope they do. Right. Um, and I hope that, that, you know, there'll continue to be more people that will either jump on board with us at right to breathe or do it in their own way. Um, but uh, yeah, thankfully the racing community is full of people that give back and I'm, I'm proud to do what I can and, 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 you know, in my own little way. Now sw- switching gears again, a little bit, you know, you mentioned you drove fuel alters, which again, are some of my, I, again, love to watch those things. Part of the reason is, you know, they're awesome. Part of the reason is they are literally like, again, barely on the edge of control. Do you have any stories of driving a fuel altered where you went to the sudden realization of this, this is a little sketchy, you know, now you can go back and tell a story now where everything turned out okay, but there was a point during a run where it was like, uh, this is, this is going bad in a hurry. Yeah. So um, it's funny. I, I, uh, I, I didn't mention earlier driving Mike Harrigan's fool's gold funny car. Um, and he's got a fuel altered body for that thing. And, and, uh, I was driving that thing at a match race in West Palm. Um, and, uh, oh, we had, what was it? it, well, that thing really shook the tire something fierce. Um, uh, that was interesting, but that wasn't one of those, those moments of like, oh crap, I'm in trouble here. That was just kind of like, well, you know, you got to deal with it. Um, but, uh, you know, hit high gear and hope it comes out of the shake and it didn't, but, um, we, uh. I guess really um, there've been a couple times, right? So match racing, Randy Bradford um, at dragway 42 um, in 2019, I think. Um, yeah. So it was yeah. after, so it was after they redid the track. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so um, that, that was interesting. Um, I, I match raced um, uh, Brian Hope in a rat trap first run. Uh, second run, it was, it was me and Randy. Um, and I, I really, uh, the, um, some of the coolest people I've ever met, honestly, uh, I, I really, uh, I respect and admire them all. Um, so Randy and I are lined up, uh, do the burnouts. We back up, uh, I'm in the right lane. Randy's in the left lane, um, launch the car. And for uh, whether there was just better track prep or what, but the tire grabbed, I mean, it really grabbed and, and, uh, the big Hillborn injector. I mean, literally like I'm looking through this little thing and I got to look through around one side of the injector or the other, depending on what lane I'm in. So in the right lane, I'm looking around the left side of the injector. So I can see Randy launch the car. And the next thing I see is clear blue sky. Um, this thing had wheelie bars that were kind of like the spring loaded wheelie bars. So this thing just planted itself. And I'm like, all right, I can see the wall. I can see the other wall. I'm looking up at the clear blue sky and, and really the front wheels were, I want to say they were maybe two feet in the air. Right. So, I mean, it was up pretty well for a fuel altered. That's like sky high, man. I'm like, I'm still going. I'm like, I'm, I know I'm, I know I'm past 60 foot. Like the clutch is starting to lock up and I'm like, and this thing ain't coming down. Um, and so I'm like, look, I'm like, if I don't lift, man, like I'm going to break the wheelie bars, something's going to go wrong in a hurry. Uh, so, you know, so I tried to lift, you know, kind of gently to not slam the front end on the ground. And luckily it came down all right. It pretty hard, but not, not terribly hard. We didn't break anything. And I look up and where I see Randy is he is just then tapping the wall on the one side. Knew it because Randy, like he kept it in his lane but it's like here i am standing the thing on the back bumper randy's got the thing you know scraping his headers on the wall i'm like yeah if that doesn't scream fuel alters what does right oh uh, totally yeah you know <laughs> that was a lot of fun um fortunately that one ended well right i mean randy's car wasn't too hurt and uh and and we were we were all set to come back and make another run so we were good there um uh, I've had a couple of moments where it's just like the car would just make a move and, and, and it's funny with that, with that 134 fuel coupe, it actually had the hot rod front end with the four bars and the single monoleaf spring with shocks. 
And at one point we had it tied down and solid, but uh, um, Ted had decided that he wanted to have the suspension active again because it was really um, a little more harsh and, and the front end would bounce around a little bit. And uh, so with that car is if it started to get out of shape um, after my incident at the 2015 California hot rod reunion, where I did stuff it into the wall. Um, it's like when that thing got out of shape, man, there was a fine line between I've got this and it's got me. Um, and, uh, and again, when I crossed that line in 2015, um, you know, there's video of that all over the place. Um, you know, I was a racing Brett, uh, Brett Henry, um, you know, who sadly passed away a couple of years later. Uh, I think it was 2017 at the hot rod reunion. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, um, the car was making a move on that run in 2015 car was making a move to the center line. I had a bit of, of left correction in it, just had, had the wheel, you know, I pull high gear, it's still going. And, and I had whole shot at Brett and I could hear him, but I couldn't see him. And so I, I knew I was heading for the center line and I figured I'd better lift. Well, I, I abruptly lifted off the throttle. And when I did, the car dove to the right front and the back end snapped around and, you know, the unfortunate part was, is at half track, I was doing about 160 and, and basically stuffed it nose first into the wall. Uh, and so uh, that's uh, that, my friends, is why you wear a Hans device, <laughs> because that suckers. I'm convinced the Hans probably saved my life that day because that was a hard hit to the front. Um, I was bruised up black, blue, yellow, purple, like anything you can imagine from the from the belts. But, uh, well, like I said, we were lucky. Uh, rebuilt the car. We came back at the hot rod reunion the following year and, and had some great match races. And we ran the car for another, you know, three, four years after that. So uh, yeah, those, those were, uh, those were a couple of the incidents. I mean, there's a couple little things at, uh, at different tracks with the, um, Oh gosh, Cecil County. We were, uh, we were on a great pass. It, I'm sure it would have been a high six second run at over 200 miles an hour. Um, hit a bump at a thousand feet and, and, uh, man, I had a whole handful of steering wheel trying to keep that thing from wrecking. Um, there's some video of that, but it's, it's, uh, it, I think that was, uh, that was either 2018 or 2019 at Cecil County. I think it was 2019. Yeah. Cause we ran a, I lifted at 1100 feet and still ran a 704 at like 184 and the car usually would go through it at like 198 or something like that. But, uh, yeah, so it's uh, always always a fun time with a with a fuel altered man. You, you pretty much got to be ready for anything, you know, at any moment. <laughs> I have shot fuel altered a couple times, and I have seen those things where it looks like a uh, they look a lot like an outlaw sprint car on pavement trying to go down the track. As that dude is in there sawing on that wheel as delicately as you can saw on a wheel because you you, say you don't want to overcorrect and you know, you, you hear that pedaling and they're just trying to get that car down the track. And it's at that point where a lot of times I wish I was in the stands as a fan so I could see the yeah. whole ballet take place, but it's different when you're track side and you see those cars trying to uh, give the driver fits. It puts a whole new uh, spin on what it takes to make those things work. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. You want it, different perspectives provide a different opportunity for point of view right so from what you see in the stands you really get to see more of the run if you watch from behind the car most you can't really tell from in the stands just how much these things are moving around watch it from behind and you're like holy crap man driving all over the place so you know that's uh every perspective right provides its own insights yeah, you, you haven't lived until you've seen a pro mod make a move at the top end at 250 plus mile an hour that a door car shouldn't move. Like a door car shouldn't make a move like that. It shouldn't physically be able to do that. And yeah. somehow the driver like saves it afterwards. I'm like, you know, I, I want to go fast, but there just there comes a point where I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> it's funny. I, I would, uh, I would absolutely, uh, I would absolutely get in a pro mod. My wife, on the other hand, she's like, nah, I don't want you driving one of those things. So, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'll count my blessings. She's all right with me driving the top fuel car. And so, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I've, I had Ty Tharp on and 
I asked him what he's scared of because he's a Nitro Harley rider. And like, oh, yeah. I'm like, whatever these dudes are scared of, I need to be triple scared of. And he's <laughs> like, I don't know about pro mods. I'm like, that's funny now that the two things that scare people the most are pro mods and Nitro Harleys. I'm like, that says yeah. a lot for the people that get on or get in those vehicles. Yeah, I tell you what, I would, I would, uh, me personally, I would put the Nitro Harley up above the pro mod as far as holy cow. I don't know if I would get on that thing. Uh, because, uh, you know, I'm friends with, with Bob Malloy and, and uh, I have a lot of respect for Ty and, and all these guys that ride these Nitro Harleys, man. Those guys are, uh, uh, you know, they carry their you-know-what's around in a wheelbarrow as far as I'm concerned, man. They've got uh, brass ones. Well, Ty said they're talking about putting blowers on these things. I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> That's like giving a Tyrannosaurus Rex a laser. Why do you have to make something a better killing machine? <laughs> right yeah oh yeah yeah it's just that's just insane the pro chargers they're putting on those things now. yeah yeah oh I, yeah yeah and i've seen pro chargers on bikes i'm like you know turbo leader bikes i'm like y'all are just you're nuts I, yeah. i've seen those guys in the xdra jason miller's deal those those swing arm turbo bikes at half track you know they're riding the wheelie at half track going you know oh, yeah. stupid fast i'm like that that's my limit that is my that is my drag racing apocalypse cut off anything on two wheels. I'm <laughs> like, you know what? That that's where I stop. That's that's my my internal safety mechanism going, hey dummy, don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my 30-year-old electroglide out for a cruise and we'll just keep it at that. <laughs> so I, I always like to throw some fun questions at my guests, and we're getting to that point of the show where I, I get to throw that at you and you know. I give people sometimes unlimited bank accounts. I'm going to give you the keys to the drag zine podcast time machine. And if you could travel through any time, any era in nitro race, what era would you go to and why would you go there? Oh man. Um, kind of a tough question because I, I uh, Really like I, I would I would want to experience the 60s because well I wasn't born yet um, and didn't didn't get to see that um, now you know what I'd have to go with um, and I kind of got to do it but not really uh, and and I say that because um, having driven nostalgia funny cars I would want to be a funny car racer in in the mid 70s and into the 80s um, just uh, there was so much going on. The match racing, um, the national event scene was growing. Um, and, uh, you know, look, I, I uh, and it's funny, I got to tell Pam this, uh, Jungle Pam, but Jungle Jim was a huge influence on me. I was just a little kid when he died, um, but I was at the only national event that he won at English Town, um, you know, and I remember that as a kid. Um, but I picked my competition number 171 because jungle Jim was 117. Um, and, uh, I was a huge fan of, and, and still am of the snake, um, mongoose, um, Gordy Bonin, uh, Dale Poldy, um, you know, and, and fortunate that, you know, I've gotten to speak to some of these guys. I never got to meet mongoose, uh, but, but talked to Dale uh, several times, you know, bought some nitro from him when we were licensing in the top fuel car, um, and, and, uh, you know, I met the snake twice and, and, uh, um, getting to know some of these guys a little bit, you know, is, is for me is fantastic. Um, was just talking with Al Segrini up in Epping. Um, but that era of funny car racing, um, man, it was just, it was just hardcore, man. And, and, and the, with the nostalgia cars, like you really have to drive them. Um, not that these big show cars, you're not driving them today. Of course you are. Um, but you know, just that whole era, man, I think was, uh, was just awesome. Dry hops, you know, long smoky burnouts, uh, the whole barnstorming across the country doing match racing, like, ah, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat, man. I think that would just be, that'd be the coolest thing ever. It's, uh, um, it's very hard to put into words what those guys were like. And it's the only thing I can ever think of is like, during that, during those era is mythical. It's like, it's like superhero level. Like these cars were not like 
nearly as safe and refined. I mean, they were like literally like bull riders with an engine block. That's literally what they were. It was definitely safer than the 60s. And funny cars didn't show up. And, you know, you guys, I'm sure everybody knows the history. The AFX cars cars really came into their own in, in the 70s. Um, but, uh, but, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, there's the downside to all that. You know, I mean, wearing the face masks and all that. But, you know, yeah, it was, it was uh, mythical is a great word for it. Yeah. Like I love to go back through sometimes and watch some of the the old school stuff. And I just, you know, and you'll see these nostalgia cars, the ones that are like just show pieces now, because they're not, you know, they didn't update them, you know, and it's like, you look at those cars, it's like, man, how did the, how, like, just how, how did that work? You know, with that much horsepower. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a different world, man. You know, uh, I saw a little tiny glimpse of it. Uh, the Cassidy brothers were a New Jersey funny car team. Um, their shop was right down the street from where I lived in New Providence. Uh, my dad used to help them, you know, and, and, uh, and so I saw a little bit of it, you know, but again, I was, I was a little kid, you know, I was a little kid. So I only saw, you know, little bits and pieces of it. Well, Joe, our time here is coming to an end and I like to give my guests their opportunity to kind of you know, pull off the old John Force and thank all their sponsors and, you know, run wild in the streets, Hulkamania style. So I'll turn <laughs> it over to you so you can thank all your sponsors, tell people where to learn more about your racing up and everything else. So uh, floor is yours, my friend. Awesome. Uh, so it's funny. We got a bunch of great partners that have, that have really made all this possible. Uh, my friend Ed Kryeski, EJK Insurance. So if you're in Pennsylvania or New Jersey and you need race car insurance or just regular insurance for your business or your street car, uh, Ed's fantastic. Pen grade one and DA lubricants. I'm wearing the hat, the DA lubricants hat. Uh, we run the nitro 70 pen grade one oil in, in the top fuel car and uh, last race out didn't hurt a bearing, you know? So, uh, you know, I know I trust them and, and uh, certainly um I'm looking to help them grow their business and uh, because that helps the race team. So, you know, certainly the pen grade one folks have been a huge help specialized autocraft. You know, that top fuel car has actually got paint on it. It's not a wrap. Um, and the folks that specialized did, did an amazing job there in Chatham, New Jersey um, race software. And for your streetcar guys, you got to go to race.software because they have, spring and shock uh complex it's it's actually complex physics modeling that you can enter your stuff in and you can make thousands of runs virtually on the computer or on your phone test out your springs and shocks without even turning a tire so uh great partners for us there dime psi and and their uh high pressure lines um americana global that's how we keep the that paint on that car looking good with the mystic spray and shine so uh they've been a huge help for us uh, my friends Haskell and Beth at Diversitech. Uh, that's the titanium shielding that's been around on the roll cage for us. And Diversitech's been a great help for us over the years. Um, those are the, some of the most important folks, truthfully. Uh, edge welding. So for any of, any of your folks that do, um, do fabrication and welding, Edge actually makes these killer welding cups that will uh, actually attach to your TIG torch and focus that inert gas to, to have a better weld. Uh, so Edge Welding Supply is one of our newer partners, and uh, we're glad to have them on board. They're such a great family, and they provide such amazing service. So Edge Welding Supply. And also, which is pretty cool, as I reach down, we've got Chuck Norris, man. We've got Seaforce Water. So Seaforce has been a great partner for us, and uh, it's cool. I figure, man, if you've got the most badass accelerating vehicle on the planet, you got to hydrate with the most badass water on the planet from Seaforce water. So uh, the Seaforce folks have been awesome. And, and uh, uh, Chuck and Gina Norris and their, their son, Tyler, has been uh, fantastic. So that's, uh, that's been a whole lot of fun. And the partners that have been with Leverage Racing, High Tech Cam and Hap Whitlock, uh, be where we are without High Tech Cam, without Mark Jones and Mark's Mixers. Uh, Mark has provided so much help to that race team since before I was there. Um, a great friend and a great guy. And, and without Mark's support, we wouldn't be there. Superior Engine does all our, our machine work for us up in Michigan. 
they've been supporting Gary and the team for years. Um, so again, you know, that, that kind of help for us has been absolutely huge. So, uh, so, you know, again, I, I, I don't want to, uh, um, you know, leave out the, the, especially the partners that have been with the team that have helped get it to the point where it is today. Um, uh, and like I said, high tech cam superior engine marks mixers have all been critical parts of, of, uh, of that team for years. And, and I'm glad to get to know these guys, um, and see how amazing they are. So, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a group effort. Um, again, you know, we are a smaller team and, and, uh, you know, so sometimes a lot of these smaller partners have been, uh, have been great for us. Um, but, uh, you know, and we actually had some fans uh, uh, and businesses in New England that had supported us, JSJ and uh, uh, RGA, Tire and Auto, um, TAC Industries. Um, oh, my gosh. And I'm leaving somebody out. Who am I leaving out? I, I, I lost on force. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, so it's, it's again, without without each and every one of these companies, we wouldn't be able to do. My gratitude is with them and uh, I certainly encourage folks to uh, check out any Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, the easiest way to find me in any of those platforms is just type in CH3NO2Joe. So Nitro Joe on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we're doing some YouTube stuff too, but, uh, but look me up. You know, I actually check the messages there myself. I, I do have some help with the social media as well. Uh, so it's not always me. But but uh, most of the time it is. And, and uh, I try to make sure that uh, I take the time to uh, to communicate with anybody and everybody. So uh, always looking to make new friends, find new fans and, uh, you know, have a great time, man, because at the end of the day, this is drag racing, for God's sakes. I think it's the greatest sport in the world and uh, enjoy sharing it with other people. So I appreciate being on the show, Brian, and, and uh, glad uh, glad you asked me to be here, man. Definitely appreciate you coming on. Of course, I've got to thank our sponsors, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, Procharger, MSD, Flowmaster, Holly, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spark Technology, also known as Fast, Elderbrock, Mosier Engineering, all make it possible for me to come on here and have the most fun to talk to guests and talk about drag racing. Joe, I appreciate you coming on the show so much and uh, look forward to seeing the track this year. Sounds great, man. Looking forward to seeing you. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I just encourage everybody to, whether it's any form of drag racing, um, go support your local track. Local track, because uh, without those local tracks, you know, we'll lose the sport. Um, you know, you'll find me on an off weekends. You'll find me at Island Drag, uh, my home track um, or ATCO. I just did a match race in Rocky's Funny Car a couple of weeks ago at ATCO. So, um you know, go out and support your local drag strip. Couldn't have said it anyway. Myself, we'll uh, end it on that note. We'll uh, we'll see you soon, Joe. Take care. Thanks.